because we had survived one of these lice outbreaks, seeing others complain about lice outbreaks, that was when I decided to go ahead and get in contact with the company that made the machine and try to offer it myself. Because this treatment costs $200. And some of the families that we work with, a lot of them cannot afford that treatment. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews Okome. So let's get started. Today's episode is brought to you by Gusto. Gusto offers modern, easy payroll benefits and HR to small businesses across the country. They were even named Best Online Payroll by PC Mag. And as a Side Hustle Pro listener, you will get three months free when you run your first payroll. So sign up and give it a try at gusto.com slash SHP. That's gusto.com slash SHP. All right, guys, today in the guest chair, we have a new edition of Side Hustle Pro. We are talking to a certified side hustler who is still a side hustler. And we are going to find out how and why she got started how she's making it work, and squeeze all types of advice out of her. Her name is Tamika Downs. She's a nurse who is pursuing financial independence by saving over 50% of her income with a family in tow. And she started a six-figure side hustle when she opened her lice treatment clinic in Boston. She treats all races, all textures of hair in this clinic. And she also, fun fact, has a blog and a podcast about the fire movement, which we will talk about in this episode. And she is one of my podcast mogul students. So excited to have you, Tamika. Welcome to the show. Oh, yes, Nikayla. Thank you for having me. And I am very excited to be in the guest seat. Yes. Thank you for being the inspiration for this Side Hustle series. So tell us, what made you decide to start Side Hustling? Well, um... I can say that going back to when I first started nursing, uh, there are quite a few opportunities to make a little bit of extra money on the side once you become maybe a nurse with a couple of years of experience. And uh, way back then, I would do things like uh, at work an extra shift and you get some overtime pay or actually go to a separate hospital and work and get overtime pay in that way. And that's kind of my earliest forms of side hustling. But when I joined the FIRE movement, which stands for Financial Independence Retire Early, and increased my savings rate and also paid off all of my debt, I realized that I like to have a little bit more cushion because I'm not the most, um, I'm not frugal by nature, basically. I have to actually plan it, work for it, and remind myself and put in automatic um, payment type of stuff in order to support frugal behavior. So for me, having a side hustle was a way to not just decrease my spending, but to increase the amount of cash flow and um, the amount of money I make, which I believe is as equally important as reducing your spending. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I um, I get really mad sometimes when people talk about, I'm not a Starbucks drinker, but when they're like, just stop drinking Starbucks, I'm like, the $5 multiply, the math is not adding up. Like, quit, <laughs> <laughs> quit, quit in your Starbucks habit. It's not going to make you a millionaire. But anywho, I digress. So now <laughs> you talked about being a nurse. What? How yeah. many years were you personally a nurse before you started Lice Clinics? Oh, so let's see. I was a nurse for around seven years before starting the Lice Clinic, before actually taking my nursing experience and putting it behind its own separate non-W-2 work um, side hustle. Yeah. Okay. And then why Lice Clinics? How did you come to start a Lice Clinic? So, you know, I started as a regular med surge nurse, uh, medical surgical nurse, which is somebody who could take care of people in all sorts of uh, with all sorts of ailments. And eventually I had the opportunity to become a school nurse. And at that time, when I switched over to school nursing, one of the things that I hated the most or we had to do the most, I should say, is was to check for lice. I hadn't had to check for any types of parasites, bugs, or anything when I was in the hospital setting. And, and so 
when I had to learn to check for bugs in kids' hair, it made me itchy. um, It was not it was not an experience that I looked forward to. Uh, But I kind of had a trial by fire one year when our entire school had a lice outbreak. And out of 660 kids and staff, one third of the school had lice. That's. Staff had lice, kids had lice. And that was actually the first time that I actually I saw kids who were um, white, Spanish, uh, white, Latino, African-American, all races with head lice. And I, I, until that time, didn't even know that Black people, African-American people could get it. That was one of the myths that I believed. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> um, I learned a lot through checking the entire school and prescribing treatments. And in fact, that was the first time that I... One of the teachers went and she went to a lice clinic after school. The next day she came back, her hair was pristine. We checked her again and she said it only took an hour. They had this great machine. It dehydrated everything. They got it out and it was expensive, but she was done with it. Whereas all of the other kids and teachers who had it were still battling this thing for weeks and Mm. into months. So so bad that we we even had to get the Department of Health involved um, just to figure out how we could how we could stop the process. Wow. And that was my first introduction to this idea of a lice clinic. Did you have lice yourself and in, in your family? Did they come home to your family? So, at, no, at that time, lice did not come home to me. I never had lice. Um, the other nurse didn't get lice when we were checking. We had two nurses in that office. And so there are ways that people can protect themselves from getting lice, including some of the protective styles that we wear in our community as African-Americans, some of the braids and the ponytails and some of the oils and things help to protect or repel us from getting lice. And so I luckily did not get lice at that time. Okay. Um, There are about 115 nurses in the district that I work with. Mm -hmm. And because we had survived one of these lice outbreaks, seeing others complain about lice outbreaks, that was when I decided to go ahead and get in contact with the company that made the machine and try to offer it myself. Because this treatment costs $200. Uh, And some of the families that we work with, a lot of them cannot afford that treatment. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to get my hands on one of the machines and kind of had a, a side hustle where I you know, maybe one or two days a week after school, I get out at three. Um, I could offer these at the schools with the outbreaks and charge maybe half price. Oh, wow. So then what did you do to set that up? Like, talk us through that process of getting the machine and getting a physical space or working out deals with the schools. Right. So I actually, um, when I started down the research process for this, I figured out, I, I went to that first location, the first place clinic that I knew about. I went to their their website and I figured out what the machine was. And it took a while, but I figured out the parent company that makes the machine. And then I ended up calling them and I ended up saying, you know, I'm a school nurse and I'd like to see if I can buy how much it would cost to buy one of these machines from you. Um, I'm thinking of having maybe a mobile business or something where I can help some of the kids in my district. And at that time, they had actually gone through a transition themselves. And what they were doing was they were offering a licensed territory Hmm. where you can have up to a number of machines and then you can advertise and market in that territory. So they were on their way to becoming a science and tech company that just gave this machine out um, with the cost to more of a licensed company and then eventually, which they are now, they are now a franchise. And that happened after I joined. I did not join when they were a franchise. Um, <clears throat> so basically what I got in exchange for my uh, initial investment was four machines. And I could have access to their products where I could sell those after doing a treatment and training on how to use the machine. Everything else I had to do myself. And so... That's where, you know, finding a real estate location, decorating the location, the chairs and the mirrors and the front desk, the flow and the system, all of that was done by myself. And any early member of this group, any early uh, purchaser of this machine 
it was done all by yourself. Now it's a little bit different. It costs more money and they help you through more of the process mm. because it's considered a franchise. So yeah, that, that was the start of it. About how long did it take you to set up? And under Lice Clinics, are you under Lice Treatment Clinics of America? Is that a franchise itself? So Lice Clinics of America is now a franchise. Okay. A couple of years ago when I joined, they were not a franchise. Got it. And so they did give us all the options to either join into the franchise or not, um, depending on where you were in your original contract with mm-hmm. them. And so... For me, it took from the day I decided, let's say, here's a good timeline. Um, once I formed my co- my company and decided to do this, there was a little bit of time where I needed to find a location. Mm-hmm. And that took me a, a couple of months because I pitched different locations. But you have to pitch that you're going to open a life clinic. So it's a little bit more dicey um, and they have a lot more questions before they're going to let you in. It doesn't quite fall under a salon or a spa. It doesn't quite fall under a medical location. And so you have to kind of tell people what this is and then and convince them to let you rent out their space. So that was the biggest hurdle. But given that I wanted to get my money back as fast as possible, I was on a mission. So I was driving around. I had contacted a real estate agent that wasn't working fast enough for me. So I was going, <laughs> looking for signs. <laughs> I was writing, taking pictures of numbers. I, I was um, calling on my own. And then if I couldn't get through, I would sh- you know, give it to the real estate agent because somehow they can get through a little bit easier. And between him and I, I got, I found my location and he helped to coordinate the meetings and deal. So the other thing that happened that I made sure to do was I had faith that I was going to get a spot, even though the first person turned me down and the second place didn't quite work out. I had faith that I was going to get the spot and it was around the time of Black Friday. So there were things that, and I do have space in my home, but there were things that I ordered before I had a spot, before I had keys anywhere. I took advantage of those deals and I got my chairs. I got a lot of the salon type material that you would need to set up a space. I ordered on that day and on Cyber Monday, well, more so on Cyber Monday, just because I knew I was going to make this happen. Yes. <laughs> and it wasn't very long after that, that it, it did. I found a place. And in December, uh, mid-December, so almost at the end of the year of uh, 2016, I opened my location for the first day. Oh, yes. Congrats. I love the fact that you're like, okay, this is going to happen. I'm going to get my chairs. I'm going to get everything, even though I don't have a space. Yes. (laughs) So you opened in December 2016. How did you then attract your clients? Who were your initial clients and how did you attract them? Yes. So the first day I opened, I got a call and that was purely Google ads. Um, Wow. I was nervous. This person doesn't know that they were my first person in my chair, (laughs) but they (laughs) were successfully treated for life. And I did not let them know that either. But um, (laughs) she was the best person. Actually, I have a video and she you know, um, she was, she Snapchatted the situation, she Snapchatted it on her own Snapchat feed. Okay. Um, and so that was just a wonderful experience for me. And that was purely Google ads. Um, for the first little bit of time, you know, I tell people when I speak to them about opening a business or transitioning to having their own retail space, that having your marketing strategy thought out and relying on Google ads at the beginning is one of the best things that you can do. It used to be that you had to flyer, go to local local areas and let them know who you were and kind of have a ground marketing game that was mm-hmm. pretty significant time-wise. But today you can start a Google ad, a Facebook ad, and you can target who you want. Um, the two media are different. And so for Google, somebody is searching, how do I get rid of lice? How to treat lice? Mm-hmm. Uh, how to get rid of this. And so if your ad pops up as a lice, cl- as a lice treatment facility near them, uh, they'll click on it and they'll see, oh my goodness, there's a place that actually can do this for me. And 
they'll they'll make their decision on whether or not um, which level of help they need. Because there are, are different levels. With Facebook for this particular type of business, uh, it's less likely that someone on Facebook is searching for any type of lice help. However, there may be someone on Facebook that sees that there's a lice clinic, and then when they realize their child has it later, they'll remember there's such a thing. And so that's more of an awareness type of a, a platform for this particular type of business. For other businesses, that's not the case. For other businesses, Facebook ads are um, more useful in getting link clicks and things like that. But for this type of business, the panicked mom or dad or grandmother <laughs> is going to need that Google ad if they don't know that a life clinic already exists. Yes. And I'm so glad you brought that up. Let's dig into this for a second. So first of all, sure. what made you want to start marketing before you open? So most people will think, OK, I'm open now. Let me market. But what gave you that background to know that? Um, I was more so focused. I, you know, I think I had heard certain things like that. And I actually this wasn't the first time that I tried to create something on my own. I tried, I was certified as a, um, a lactation consultant in the past. Uh, I'm still certified. And so I tried to create a product that would help moms when they're going back to work, have an easier time with, with the machinery and breastfeeding and pumping at work. Okay. So just like uh, air, things to keep your area clean and like ways to, just make the process more smooth so that you're not always fumbling around. A lot of times when are in, you know, a closet or, you know, there's just, there's other parts to that. But I recognized way back then from reading a book and from seeing other people, definitely reading books, that the marketing around something can start before the actual product is made, before the book is written, before the course is even created. And yes. I didn't know that per se. But I knew that getting in the habit of talking about something out loud, it's the first step in growing your business. And it's the first step that a lot of new entrepreneurs need to overcome in order to get over that fear that they have. It's a very intimate experience to open your own thing and put yourself out there. And so the earlier you can get to talking about something that you're growing, the better it is. Because once it's actually here, not only are you then more equipped to talk about it and tout it, but everybody's kind of waiting to see if it's actually going to happen or waiting to see and wondering, what is he doing or what is she doing? And they actually get to the point where they start to ask you, wait, are you still doing this? <laughs> yes, and you yes. have, have some momentum well, how's that behind coming you. Along? Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I think part of that and also just talking to some other lice clinics um, or lice treatment places and salons and and realizing that the day you open that door and you, you know you have some bills you're going to have to pay, you want money coming in to help you to do that. And so yes. there was no way I was going to wait. <laughs> I was going to get <laughs> anyone in the door that needed my help as soon as possible. Got it. And was there a learning curve with, for example, um, with when you were setting up your Google ads, did you know how to make sure you were targeting people in your local area? Was that kind of a user-friendly thing you figured out on your own or did you use any resources? No. So I actually have someone who does my Google ads. He set them up. And I have a huge book about Google ads. And I realized very quickly that I don't particularly like the interface and I don't like it. I don't like it. So I just like <laughs> that's why I asked because I know it can be a little <laughs> bit like overwhelming. Yes. And there are a lot of things I DIY. I actually I've learned to computer program a little bit. I took a coding boot camp in this process. I know how to do some Facebook ads, the very basics of Facebook ads, Instagram ads. I like to learn. I know I have learned how to manage the back end of my website. I have built other websites now because of starting this business and starting businesses like, you know, like my um, my blog about um, breastfeeding in the past. So I like to be hands on, but I just don't like I don't like it. There's something <laughs> about it. Um, <laughs> well, now, how did you find the person that does your marketing? So Matt is 
awesome. He is, um, and this is something that's an interesting story. So he started to teach, he taught himself Google and he took courses to learn Google. And he had one client that was a lice clinic in Chicago or Michigan. Um, and that one person referred him to all of the other lice clinics as they nice. began to open. He now has about 50 clinics that he so manages. So he now specializes in advertising lice clinics. <laughs> and that nice. is something if anyone is interested in learning Google Ads is listening, you know, and you pick a niche or you just fall into a niche like that, the yeah. referrals, and it's the same thing at the clinic. And it's the same thing for any business. Referral traffic is the most magical traffic because it's free traffic. So if anyone's in the lice clinic in my chair and they know that they had a sleepover last weekend with six kids, those kids need to be referred to come in. And I don't have to pay a Google click for that to happen. The person yes them directly from the chair and sometimes they come in before that person's done and then it's like a big party so you <laughs> you know there's like <laughs> referral traffic is the thing yes and you have such an urgent need-based business whereas like if someone has the solution to getting rid of your kids lice or your lice like yeah I, I would be there in a heartbeat are you kidding me like that just makes my skin crawl the idea of lice so <laughs> and I'm glad you bring that up because my next question was really around the how did you grow your brand so obviously we know you get that initial customer traffic but now we know okay referrals are a part of it and was there anything else you think really helped to grow your business to what it is today yeah so one of the other things that i think other listeners can implement is figuring out who are the different people in the cycle of your business so mm -hmm. there are those people who wake up and they have lice those are going to be your direct customers. But then there are people who service those customers pretty regularly. And the people that those individuals are going to call first, you're going to call your PCP, your pediatrician, you're going to call your school nurse or get a call from your school nurse or teacher. Um, the principals at schools should know, maybe the PTA should know. And so at that point, it becomes how do you get in front of those people? One of the ways that I did do that is there are nursing conferences that I can go and um, I'll either work the room if I haven't, mm -hmm. you know, if there's a school nurse conference, I can let people know that I own a lice clinic. And the other way is just brand recognition. And that is, that's where you come into the Facebook or the more widespread general marketing where mm -hmm. you're not actually looking to have someone pick up the phone and come in right away. You want people to know that this thing exists and a lot of people don't know that it exists so you just want the local business people the hair salons everyone in the in the residential area to know hey there's some type of click and then if you have lice that's where you should call first or second you know yep now one of the biggest questions i always get is about juggling and balancing these side hustles how did you yourself who you know you have this burgeoning business so much traffic coming in how did you balance being a nurse and an owner of your lice clinic well i think it's important to know that at the beginning of growing a, the seed of a business you have to tend to it and if you're in a point where you don't really have the time to commit to it and you haven't set up the expectations with your family or with your friends that this is happening. And that's kind of like a marketing too. You have to start marketing from your family side and your friends first because they're not going to have the chance to call you as easily or and they're going to have to deal with you not being there and you have to get them on board for sure. Um, but I think having that be a, um, a known for yourself and preparing your mind for that, that you're going to be hustling, grinding for a certain amount of time is the mm -hmm. first step. And the mm -hmm. second step is to be aware of how long you can actually do that and what are some things that you can do to begin to offload that at the precise times that you need it. So for me, I can go for about three to four months in a heavy grind mode. And I think that's also why things like coding boot camps last for about that amount of time because that seems to be a natural amount of time that people can do something intensely 
Uh, and it was around March and April. I, you know, I, I opened at the end of December. I hardly count that. So January was my first real month. It was a very productive and a, a good revenue month. I, I was able to pay for everything I needed to pay for, um, for in that first month of business. But I was going into that that business every day after work. If anyone called, there was no rhyme or reason. I would go on weekends and I knew I can't do this forever. So I started with my, I had my sister trained. She's a salon, she, she's a stylist. So she was trained. She could come in and help me if need be. And I had another employee trained at the same time when I started. So there were three, but I was really taking the, the bulk of it. Um, and I knew by about February, March that I needed to find more help. And that, that became a focus. And as I was able to transition into more help and actually had somebody in the clinic while I wasn't there um, and became, became comfortable with that idea because it was, a, it was a hard thing to become comfortable with, actually. And why was that? Do you think it was hard to become comfortable because you were worried about meeting the expectations of clients or was it hard to hire someone else? Well, I'm sure that you would understand because you've grown your podcast with your heart. Yes. <laughs> and all it would like all of your grit and you pour everything into it and letting someone else take control of a part of it and them having a different um perception, um, goal, you know, mm-hmm. um, all those things, it's really hard to know that they're going to do it exactly the same as how you would do it. But the thing that is important to understand is that they're not going to do it exactly the same as you're going to do it. And that in fact, your customers don't always need you to do certain things the same way that you would do it. They need it to be proficient and maybe a little bit better than proficient, but they don't need they don't always, my customers are in and out in an hour. So mm. I need someone to be there that is going to make them feel comfortable, make sure it's clean, take care of their questions, and then get them out the door. I give my whole heart when I'm in there. I talk to them and I learn about them and who are you and blah, 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 blah. I do a <laughs> lot of that and that's not necessary. <laughs> it's not really necessary. They have life, they want it gone. So, yeah. you know, Getting to the point where you figure out the things where nobody cares if you're the one doing your social media or nobody cares. They just want to see the pictures or, you know, nobody cares if, um, I don't know, there's certain things that someone else can do uh, Mm -hmm. and then certain things that you have to do. And that was hard to tease out. But once it was teased out, I realized that I could really step back as long as I had somebody there, people there that I trusted. And I love my texts, my, my life texts. Um, one of my texts has a goal. She says, I want to pay your rent with your product sales that she, now she was a former salon owner for many years. And now she just, she's has about six more years before she retires. And so that's a goal that she had in her salon to pay Mm -hmm. her rent with just product. sales, And so that is her goal. Um, and to me, as as a non-salesman, as a non-stylist, I didn't know that was impossible. But there's something about getting people what they need and what they what they can use in the interim so that they hopefully don't have to come back. And I didn't even pick up on that. And she was able to. So there are things like that where if the person that you can replace yourself with is someone that you trust and has business-minded goals and thoughts and all of that, they don't have to be you. And that allows you to get your time back. So that was also one of my goals when I started at the clinic, to go in there, to hustle, to grind, and to get my time back. And that has since happened. Hey guys, it's Nikayla here with a quick word from our sponsors. This episode of Side Hustle Pro is brought to you by Zola. Zola is the easiest way to plan your wedding and registry. Moyo and I used Zola for our wedding in August 2017, and I absolutely loved it. I love Zola because as a busy side hustler, I had absolutely no time to waste going into a physical store and scanning registry items one by one. I was not about to do that. 
So I signed up for Zola and it made the experience way more enjoyable. So my fellow side hustling bride and grooms, here is what you need to do. First, start with a free wedding website on Zola. It takes just minutes to set up and Zola makes it easy to personalize with your favorite design and with all your wedding details. Then build your dream registry on Zola. Zola has over 500 top brands from Cuisinart to Sonos and Airbnb. And you can also create a fund for your honeymoon like we did. Plus register for gift cards to your favorite brands. So to start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry, go to zola.com slash side hustle. That's zola.com slash side hustle to start your free wedding website and get $50 off your registry on Zola. If you have a business or you know someone who does, you probably know by now that small business owners, we wear a lot of hats. And some of those hats are mad fun, I'm not gonna lie. But some of them, like filing taxes and running payroll, they're not so great. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and HR actually easy for us small businesses. It's fast with simple payroll processing benefits and expert HR support all in one place. Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes, so you don't have to worry about all that. Plus, they make it easy to add on things like health benefits and even 401ks for your team. So those old school clunky payroll providers that you probably thought you had to look at, they just weren't built for the way we work as modern small businesses, but Gusto is. So let them wear all of those hats for you. You have better things to do. Side Hustle Pro listeners, you get three months free when you run your first payroll. So test it out. See for yourself at gusto.com slash SHP. That's gusto.com slash SHP. And you know what I really love about what you just said is you also recognize that your techs, your employees have goals. And it's very hard to find that balance between finding people who you can trust and you know will do an awesome job because they also believe in the mission of the business, but also recognize that they have their own goals. And that doesn't mean that they can't do a good job in your business. So how did you go about hiring? Are these still people in your circle? Are these people who, you know, you just recruited via something like a a job board? Yes. So I do some, I've tried the Facebook board where you can hire from there. Uh, and I don't always get promising people. Uh, the, the particular people who are there have been there for nearly since the beginning. So in that first year. So when I decided that I needed help, they they were the ones that I found. They've been there. Um, that's two of them. Two I found later. One was a recommendation from one of those first of my, of the uh, texts. And I'll say that the people that I started with initially, so my sister, <laughs> who only helped me <laughs> once, by the way, um, yeah. and my the the other tech that was there, they they did not, um, they are not the people that I'm, they're gone. Um, yeah. My sister decided she doesn't like it. She 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 likes the other side of hair, so she likes <laughs> that side of hair. And she helped me once. I appreciate her, but that didn't really help me. So. <laughs> The people that work there now have been there for a while and it's kind of like a well-oiled machine that I hope never stops. And that's what I'm trying for. Yeah. Um, Because they're just, they know everything. They're awesome. You know? Yes. I love that. (laughs) So (laughs) let's talk a little bit about the money side because not everyone makes money when they're side hustling at all. Um, and we know you are a six-figure side hustler. So let's talk about that. First of all, um, when you started out, was it immediately that you started generating revenue and then from there it just grew? Or were there specific actions you took to say, I want to meet this revenue amount each and every month and here's what I need to do to get there? So it was a little bit of both because like I said, the first day I opened, there was a call. And so on that day, uh, you know, and I will say that when you're when you're signing a lease agreement, um, 
you might feel like the person you're signing with has all, all the power, but any number that you see in that agreement, you should really try to negotiate and discuss, you know, not to the point where you're going to lose the, the place per se, but to the point where it's something that you can actually handle and, and do and don't have grand visions of how much you're going to make at the beginning. So one of the other things that's really important about leases is that if you have to do any work at the beginning with commercial leases, you know, you have to get the material in, you have to set it all up, you have to paint, maybe you have to fix some flooring or something like that. I didn't have to do any of that, but I still asked for the time to do it. Mm. And you don't have to say, oh, my goodness, I love this place. It's ready. I can turn the key and I can just start tomorrow. Okay, you can still say there's a little bit of work that I need to do. And I would really like to have the first two or two months um, rent free so that I can get that work done. Uh, And the truth of the matter is I did not need to do any work. I didn't even paint. I needed to set everything up. It took me a week. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I opened my doors. But for that first couple of months, I didn't have to make a payment. And I would recommend that to everybody. Uh, the other thing is when I started and I began to budget for what I needed to have in the clinic, I figured out how many people I would need to service. And because it's a $200 service, it's it doesn't, it's easy to count how many people, how many cases of lice I would need to treat in order to cover my basic expenses. And so I, I knew that number from the beginning and every month I'm, I'm targeting breaking even. That mm-hmm. was my first target because I didn't want to have to put any more into the business. Mm-hmm. And so that was the case. And I would call schools, anything free that you can do. So, you know, if you know how to use Instagram or if you know how to do the Google ads, which is not free overall, there's clicks, but um, any time you can call, get on TV where you can talk about the business that's in an area like local yeah. access television. Anytime you can do that, it's your time, but it will lead you to getting your target, which is to break even or make money at the very beginning. So are you still just breaking even or are you profitable at this point? I am actually profitable at this point, and I do go by the profit first. Um, if you read that book, Profit First, that has uh, information on how to set aside your profits from the beginning and work your budget in that way. But I also apply kind of the fire com- concepts that I apply to my personal life. So, for instance, some people do a build out from the beginning. They go into a space and want to make it into their vision. Mm -hmm. And so there are different ways to do that. You could pay out of pocket yourself or you can finance it, which increases your monthly lease payment. I didn't do that. I think I I spent a couple or a few thousand dollars getting the place set up. And then my goal was to make that money back immediately. So from the beginning, I didn't add in the extras that a lot of people add in. And I keep my business budget as lean as possible. And I I have to really remind myself that people are coming to get their lice treated. They're not coming. Yes. To look at the floors and say, wow, (laughs) it's nice in here. (laughs) And I mean, of course, you can't have it be a dump. But yeah, you you don't have to build it out like a, a, a luxury salon where people come to talk to their girlfriends and, you know, luxuriate for the day. That is a very good observation. Yeah. There are clinic owners who have really beautiful floors that they get poured concrete and they're beautiful and they have, um, they serve liquor or, you know, like a wine (laughs) for the mom who's just at her wit's end. And I really want to do those things, but I cannot, I cannot because that means I have to serve more people just to pay my basic Yes. Um, bills and my staff. So right. I don't. <laughs> That's a really good reminder for all of us because it's easy to look at other people further along and be like, I want that. I it just looks so nice. But then we have to go back to our budget and keep that business budget as lean as possible. And guys, I will link to Profit First. A few of our guests have mentioned it, but I will be linking to that again in the show notes so we can all dig into that. 
And let's talk a little bit more about the FIRE movement. So you explained what it stands for in the beginning, but, you know, what does that entail? What does that look like on a weekly basis for you? How is FIRE incorporated into your life? So today, if I took a snapshot versus when I first started, it's vastly different. Today, I save 50% of my salary. Um, I save into retirement accounts. I save, of course, to my pension. And I also save in cash or more liquid savings. Uh, And so to get to this point where I can save that much with three kids, house, husband, uh, and still feel like I'm living a good life, it took Mm -hmm. a long it was a long road. Part of that first step in in moving in this direction was paying off debt. So I had over $90,000 of student loan debt that I paid off. My husband had about $42,000 when I met him, 46 or 42. And um, last year in 2018, we paid off his, but not until he decided that he was ready to do it because it requires you making the goal your own and really doing a little bit of sacrifice and pushing all of your money in that direction. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't going to have my, be on fire, I guess, about my situation and then pay off all of mine and pay off all of his. I wanted mm-hmm. him to have some ownership in his. So once he was ready, I was ready to help him. I was ready to go with him and I was excited, but I let him hold his balance for um, a couple years until he actually was. So that allowed us to free up. Um, I think he was paying like seven sixty in his towards his before finally hitting it really hard. So four sixty was his uh, payment every month, and then he was paying an extra three hundred dollars towards his student loans. Mm-hmm. I was paying, I think I owed around three something, four something for student loans. It's been a while now, but I was paying up to thousands of dollars towards my student loans at one point, just in terms of cutting cable, cutting food, eating out was a huge part of our budget that we didn't even, it wasn't that we budgeted for it. It was just, we spent a lot of money eating out. And so we cut that and we started cooking and trips and everything were on hold for that year plus. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't mind. So that allows you to figure out the maximum extreme of your cash flow. And after you're done paying that off, you then have this decision point where it's, do I save more or do I use Mm -hmm. this for something else like a business? Mm -hmm. And so I did a little bit of both. I, Mm -hmm. um, I used I increased my savings rate and I continue to increase it as I get any raises. But then I also use the cash flow also to um, start the Lice Clinic, which I'm hoping and which has started to. I'm hoping that it grows to the point where it then becomes, you know, something where I I mean, I don't exactly know where I want it to go. (laughs) Yeah. But I knew that I wanted it to be a separate source of income to take off. Some to alleviate our personal budget. And that has definitely happened. Okay. So, and to dig down a little deeper, first of all, guys, I apologize for my Starbucks comment. Cutting Starbucks is helpful in sticking to your budget <laughs> and living lean. <laughs> now, let's dig into this a bit. So when you say, right, because I need to really know, right? I want to model you a little bit. Okay. When you say you are now able to save 50% of your income. Are you talking about nursing income and Lice Clinic or uh, just nursing income? I'm talking about my nursing, like our family income. Okay. The Lice Clinic allows us cash flow to just live our life. Okay. And so half of my income is no longer needed mm-hmm. right now. So for instance, I maxed out my 457. I have a 457, a 403B, a pension. I have dependent care and an FSA. And I hit all of those. And so the max on a 457 is 18,500, which now it's 19,000. The max on a 403 is the same. 18,500 last year, now 19,000 that you can save into these accounts. My pension plan requires that I I put 11% of my salary in. So every 
two weeks, that comes out automatically. And then I also had daycare expenses this year. So the, the Lights Clinic allows me to actually pay the $8,000 in daycare mm-hmm. because part of my budget is shifted to the clinic in, the, in that way. And so the FSA, the, the flexible spending account that you can use for your medical, I did that as well. And so my husband also saves um, into his retirement, which he works at a corporation. So it's a 401k for that. Yeah. So all of that. And then we have accounts. So we have a family fund account, which includes our Christmas budget, any trips that we decide we're going to go on for the year, which we don't travel too much, but we go down to D.C., Maryland, Virginia, where I went to school and where all, all pretty much every friend that I have, a lot of them are down there still because <laughs> uh, I went to the state school. So yeah. I go there um, <laughs> to the DMV. And so we have all of that budgeted out and we put into that uh, every month so that that fund, those funds are fully funded along the way. These are great, great tips, by the way. Yeah. So thank you for giving us a peek inside of, you know, how your family does it. And with all the great things you have going on with the Lice Clinic and then working a whole other full-time job, what made you decide to start your blog and your podcast? (laughs) Um. So the podcast, somebody asked me to be their co-host and I just said yes, because I thought that it would be a fun experience. I had been on the uh, um, a different podcast as an interviewee. Someone okay. else uh, in the FIRE community asked me to be on their podcast once I crossed that threshold of the six figures, mm-hmm. because in that group, we sometimes share our wins. And so I just posted it and it was actually, um, you may know Jamila Safran of Journey to Launch. Oh, yeah. Yes, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so way back then, I was the as she asked me. That was the first podcast I ever went on. I was so nervous, but after it was done, I was like, "Oh my gosh, that was so fun! This is that was just. I hope it sounds good." And you know, I was nervous that it wouldn't sound good, and I couldn't listen right away. You know, from being in the group that I can't always listen at, at the beginning when I release something, but eventually I do listen to my speaking in my voice and everything. I just get a little nervous. But um, that was when I realized that, oh my gosh, this is this is a really interesting form of medium that I like a lot. Mm-hmm. And so when this lady was, that I didn't know, I don't, I didn't know, I did not know my co-host, but she heard that podcast interview and she asked me to be her co-host. She was thinking about starting a Five for Families podcast. And I said, of course because I like to try things, <laughs> even when I don't have time. So um, we we started it. It's called House of Fi, which is F-I, meaning financial independence. And it's about pursuing Fi with a family. And of course, I like to talk to people who side hustle or who try other ways of increasing their income, which could be within their own work mm-hmm. or outside of their work. There are different ways to do that or getting real estate income or some other way of increasing your income so that you can go through the fire and even the fire journey with your family and be comfortable and regular, you know, not deprived. Yes. I like to focus on that. And she likes to focus on a lot of the stories, how the lifestyle will be after you reach it and, you know, pursuing things that you'd want to do once you've cleared out all the debt and saved and reached a certain point. So together, we we talked to all types of guests around FI, FIRE, the journey and yes. ways to reach it. Yes. So five financial independence. This is a whole new thing for, you know, everyone who's listening to tap into, because when I started this podcast, I was really interested in people who side hustle to become full-time entrepreneurs. And just because you're a full-time entrepreneur doesn't necessarily mean that all your financial ducks are in a row and that you're able to actually make money from your business, that you're not struggling. So understanding another 
a whole other perspective of why people side hustle and how this has actually given them financial independence to take some of that stress off of them, to not have to worry about where their next check is coming from, what's going on is so, so cool and so informative. So I hope you guys check out Tamika, check out Jamila, check out this whole movement and um, let's all do our best to scale our side hustles this year. Um, And I'd like to add to that because Jamila and I, and also um, the couple from Rich and Regular, um, Nasima from Financially Intentional and Carmen Perez, we just did a round table discussion about why people of color need to be in the FIRE movement. And in fact, I, I also blog at The Reluctant Frugalist because I am reluctantly frugal and I have <laughs> really work to, to be frugal. That so is me. I, so I need to read your blog. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I actually um, started a Black Fire series and I, it's two parts so far. I plan to release another section of it in um, Black History Month. And when you look at the wealth gap, when you look at the spending, when you look at the um, the creation of a legacy for the mm-hmm. generations after us, our children, all of the concepts of fire are hitting a mainstream. And they're concepts that aren't that new. They're concepts that have been around in the past, especially during times of, um, you know, like after the Depression, that that era seems to be more frugal. Uh, these are not new concepts. All of us can learn something from the concepts, whether you fully embrace it and fully implement it, or you just take little bits and pieces to make it so that your savings rate, if you just want to focus on savings rate, just bump it up a little bit and prepare a little bit more. Um, You can take bits and pieces from this, and it is imperative that we at least look at it. If you're a person of color, you at least have to look at it, and we're trying to get that word out. Yes. Thank you, guys. Okay, now let's shift into the lightning round. You know the deal. You just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. All righty. Number one, what is a resource that has helped you in your side hustle that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? Um, I will share two. One is the Pomodoro method. It is a method. It's very simple where you um, break out your time. Let's say you do 25 minutes of uninterrupted work and then you take a break and then you do another 25 minutes and if you can implement that three or four times in a day you've then done generally more work than you would do if you just spent kind of the whole day aimlessly trying to be productive and that way it allows you to check it off and you can then look back and see okay I did this I did that I did that and get it out of the way. For me, earlier is better. I get it out of the way early. Yes. Another one is um, I use QuickBooks online. Uh, That has been very helpful for me uh, just to keep my eye on my budget. Now, number two, what's been the best business book or podcast episode that you've consumed this year? So the book I was reading this year was, and and I started it at the end of last year, finished it this month. The book I was reading this year is Five Stars, The Communication Secrets to Get from Good to Great. And it's by Carmine Gallo. I believe that's how you say it. And it's all about how communication is the secret of kind of any disruption we have economically. So there's this whole fear that many, many people, and maybe it's more than a fear are going to lose their jobs due to AI. And what Mm -hmm. he talks about are secrets to communication, how storytelling or creating your messaging is a way that people are going to kind of rise above that in the future. And even right now. So podcasting is one such way of communicating your way to success. And that's why, you know, you know, I think that explains it. Yes, and we will link to that one. Now, who is a fellow side hustler that inspired you and motivated you to keep going? Hmm. Well, I'm going to name you, Nikayla. Oh, yes, <laughs> I am. Why because, is that? So one thing that you did was you grew this podcast to the point 
where it's just mind blowing how successful it is. But you also created a podcast that focuses on us and it's unapologetically focusing on us and we need the voice in the space. But the other thing that you did was you took what you learned and you turned it into a way to help other people. And so you're not side hustling anymore. This is your, you're a professional. This is what you're doing, but you're growing your business kind of, it's like watching Oprah, like back in the day, because <laughs> you're, you're, you're taking one stream and you're turning it into multiple streams. And in the process, you're doing really good work, helping others. And I have the pleasure of being a part of the podcast moguls group. Uh, we started the podcast House of Five before joining it, but since joining it, we have reached just this past week over twenty five thousand downloads Woo-hoo! in implementing, <laughs> and that's in implementing like the the strategy for Instagram, like pull, pulling all, all those strategies together. So I've been able to create strategies for brick and mortar in the life clinic, and you helped me to create strategies for a media company, like the podcast, a media format, a non-brick and mortar, which was a little more difficult for me. So I'm going to say you. Wow, that that means a lot to me because um, when your head's down, it really is hard. Sometimes it's even hard for me to articulate the movement and what I'm trying to do. And you have just, you know, it's just, it, it means a lot to me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And then what would you say is a personal habit that has helped you significantly in side hustling? (laughs) Um, Personal habit has to be starting a lean budget-based business, keeping it lean from the beginning and reining yourself back in when it starts to creep, lifestyle creep back up. Yes. I'm telling you guys, like I'm going to start like just doing deep dive on Tamika's methods, not to interrupt lightning round, but that is, yeah, reining (laughs) yourself in. (laughs) Finally, what is your parting advice for fellow side hustlers who are stuck? I have somebody, I'm doing a podcast episode later today, and somebody asked me if they can come and just see behind the scenes. And so I, of course, said yes. I don't know how much they'll be able to hear from it or anything because you do have to wear headphones and stuff. So I have to figure that out. But I would say ask to shadow someone. And if you have to pay to talk to somebody that's already doing it, I would pay to talk to them. You know, don't put yourself out. But I called other life clinic places, other life treatment places before I opened. I I spoke to salon. I spoke to the salon owner where my sister was. One of her really good friends, the three of them work together. I spoke to her about, you know, what's the square footage of this place? How did you find it? You need to talk and ask. And if you have to pay to get this information so that you make an informed decision, do it. And if you can find guidance through a course from someone that you trust and you want to reach a certain level, it's worth it in many cases to invest the money in order to invest in yourself and get yourself over the hump so that you can reach your full potential. That is such the perfect note to end on because at some point or another, all of us have to invest in learning a bit more, diving even deeper to get to that next level. So thank you, Tamika. And where can people connect with you after this episode? So you can go to Reluctant Frugalist. Uh, dot com. That's where I blog. And also I have I have coaching calls. I have just information. Some of my friends are also blogging with me there. One who is naturally frugalist and one who is frugal now by circumstance. She actually went through a, um, a bankruptcy recently. And so she is going from bankrupt to five and she's chronicling it at the reluctant frugalist. And the other place is the House of Five podcast, where especially if you have a family and you want to be pursuing five, but you feel like, you know, I have to pay for basketball lessons, piano, this and that. I pay for all of those things. And it is not as easy as if I was single and could live in a one room of a house or something. But if you want to come on the journey with us, House of Five podcast, Wendy and Tamika, and um, that's those are the best places to find me. All right. So there you have it, guys. All of the awesome links to the resources Tamika mentioned will be in the show notes. So go ahead and check those out over at sidehustlepro.co. And thank you so much for being in the guest chair, Tamika. 
Yeah, thank you, Nikayla. And there you have it. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you want to hear more from me, head on over to sidehustlepro.co forward slash side hustle corner to get my weekly side hustle diaries chronicles about my own journey from passion project to profitable business. And if you want to find me online, I'm at side hustle pro on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to join the side hustle pro Facebook community. Go to sidehustlepro.co forward slash mastermind. And as always, if you love the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. Thank you.